0: Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Bill. Wow, just you know, assistance galore. This is great. Um, yeah, like uh, uh, like Lou said, my name is Taylor. Uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, please come say hi. I'm, it's not very many, but please do. Yes, uh, and we are starting this new. Uh, Series on Scripture uh, that I'm thrilled for. You know, we're taking over the uh, summer, each month we're looking at a different rhythm and practice in the life of Jesus. uh, Because we see in Scripture this invitation, not just to have a ticket to heaven, but to be transformed into our truest self, who we were always meant to be in Jesus. That the story of Scripture and the invitation of life with Jesus is not just, uh, here's eternal hope and a few rules to follow until you die but that you actually become a new kind of person in him, the kind of person that we were always meant to be. And one of the key ingredients in that lifelong process are these practices and rhythms that we see in Jesus's life. And so we're just looking at a few. We're not looking at every single possible one that we could over the course of the summer, but we are looking at a few. We looked at uh, prayer for four weeks, and now we're going to spend the month of July looking at scripture. And so we're going to be beginning in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. Uh, I will read it and then uh, pray, ask God to speak to us through it, uh, and then we'll get into it from there. Uh, quick note uh, that I will say, we did a uh, child dedication at the beach, which was awesome for the, the Whittle family. Uh, some of you uh, may know them. They're uh, Pretty mainstays at the beach, uh, the beach service. Uh, if you would like to do a child dedication, all you got to do is email info at riversouthbay.org, and we'd be happy to make it happen for you. So there you go. For families out there wondering, do we do that here? Is that a thing that I can do? Yes. If you, we would be happy to make it happen. Just email info at riversouthbay.org, and we'll make it happen. Okay. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. Let's get into it and see what God has to say. So starting in verse 7, here is what the poet says. The law, or the Torah, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, In keeping them, there's great reward. That's God's word for us this morning, written by a poet thousands of years ago, but inspired by the Spirit of God. And every time we open up God's word, he has something to say to us. So let's pray and ask that God would speak to us. And as you hear the kids sing, pray and ask that God would bless them. It is a beautiful thing uh, to be a part of a family with many generations. And so let's come before God um, and ask that he would speak to us. Lord, We love you. Uh, We're so grateful for your grace. Uh, We're grateful for those little ones next door. We pray that you would meet every single one of them. God, we pray that you'd keep them and bless them. We pray that every one of them would grow up to deeply internalize the grace of God that's for them in Jesus and that they'd grow to be spiritually and emotionally and relationally healthy people whole in Jesus. We pray for that. We pray to be a community that helps them along that journey. Uh, we pray that you'd speak to us right now through your scriptures. We thank you that you do speak to us, that your, your word is living and active, and by your spirit, you meet us in fresh and personal ways. So we pray that you would. We pray, God, that wherever we're coming from, whether uh, we're all in on following you and we've been following you for a long time, or whether or not we're not even sure that we believe any of this, we pray that you would meet each of us in a fresh and personal way this morning. Would each of us have a fresh encounter with you? Pray that, uh, as I always do, that you give us not just information for our heads, but transformation in our hearts. That we become the kind of women and men that you made us to be. So we ask for that. We thank you that we can bring our full selves into the light because of your grace. We don't have to hide or pretend or anything like that. We can be our real, authentic self before you and let you transform us along the way. So we ask for that all in Jesus' name. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Amen. So let's begin with a little thought experiment. And it's a thought experiment with a little bit of context because it's a weird thought experiment. And so without the context, it'd be super weird. With context, it's still going to be a little bit weird, but that's okay. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do this thought experiment. Here's the context. A few weeks ago, uh, Becca and I, it's her birthday, by the way. Yay, Becca's my wife. Uh Uh-huh. Yay. Beck and I were at a wedding uh, up in Ojai, and this wedding was uh, up in the hills just north of Ohio. so to get there, everyone had to cram into a bus, and you're like going on these narrow mountain roads, and there have been these huge uh, winter storms this last year, so there was parts of the road that were very, very sketchy because there have been major damage to the road, but we got there safe and sound, and here we are, alive to tell the tale. Beautiful wedding, beautiful ceremony, out on kind of this r- sort of ranch property out in the hills. Uh, and the re- reception was great, food was great. Uh, we're out kind of dancing under the stars. And about halfway through the dance party, the DJ turns the music off because apparently there was a sound ordinance in this valley where the, the uh, ranch was that we were having the wedding to where there's a time limit, or there's a kind of a, a drop dead point on when all amplified sound had to be off. But the party wasn't over. No, 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 Instead, what we did is we all got over-ear headphones uh, that were synced to the DJ, and we had a dance party all wearing our headphones. And it was awesome if you're wearing the headphones, and it's just like the same thing as the music coming through the speakers. And everyone's dancing, everyone's loose, inhibitions are low, we've been having an awesome time, everyone's really into it. If you took the headphones off, however, it's just a, people, a bunch of people wiggling awkwardly in silence. And let me tell you, it was a sight to behold. Here's, here's where this is going. I want us to place ourselves in our imagination on that dance floor, and I want us to imagine two different ways of trying to dance on that dance floor, two ways of being on that dance floor. Here's scenario number one, and we're just going to, again, thought experiment. It's weird. Just go with me. Scenario number one, you got the headphones on. You're there, it's it's kind of halfway through the reception, so you're having a great time. It's not too late, so you've still got some energy going, and you bet you're with some people that you love. You're celebrating a couple that you're really excited about, having a great time on the dance floor. And let's just pretend in this scenario that... Whatever this means for you, because we're all our own special people in our own, with our own special tastes, and uh, we all have different musical preferences, let's just imagine that whatever is playing on the headphones is like you're your jammed your crescendo of the dance floor jam. This is like what you get up for, and I know that's gonna mean different things for different people. Maybe you got the headphones on and you're like a sweet Caroline person, right? And so you're just going, ba ba ba, and you're just into it all the way. Maybe you're uh, an uptown funk person because you just wanna get up and you wanna just feel it. Maybe, I don't know, we're a diverse uh, group of tastes. Maybe you're getting down to bad and bougie. Who's to say? No one knows, right? So whatever it is, you're on the dance floor, you're having a great time, and you're feeling the music. You're hearing it, it's your favorite song, it's a great fun setting and you are dancing because it is the thing you do in that setting. It is the natural way to respond to the music that you're hearing, particularly hearing it in a community of other people. You're dancing to the music free and as a natural response to the music that you're hearing. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two, Imagine that you had been at the bathroom when the the sound cut off, and you come back to the dance floor, and for some reason it's dark, whatever, I don't know, it's not a perfect scenario here, we're just going with it. You don't see that everyone else has headphones on, and so you know you're supposed to be dancing, that's what you're supposed to do at a wedding, at a wedding reception, right? So that's the thing that you should be doing, but there's no music playing, you see other people doing it, but you're like, I don't know, so you're just trying to like... Follow along with what everyone else is doing, the the tempo they're dancing with or the style of music. It must be, apparently, but you don't know what's going on. So your experience on the dance floor is just trying to copy what everyone else is doing and keep up with whatever they're doing. There's no natural response to anything. It's just I'm trying to do what I think I'm supposed to be doing. Okay? Scenario number one, natural flow of the music. Scenario number two awkwardly trying to keep up, flailing like a silly, silly, silly person with no music at all. Here's the point, because you're probably wondering what the point is, because this is weird, let's be honest. The point is, the invitation of life with Jesus is, broadly speaking, because there are going to be parts of life that are hard. But broadly speaking, the invitation of life with Jesus is an invitation like scenario one. It's an invitation to listen to the music and dance as a response because it's what you do to good good music. An invitation to hear the beauty of the message of the gospel, the beautiful message of who God is for us and what he's done for us in Jesus, that though each of us left to our own devices is more sinful and broken and flawed than we could ever dream of in our wildest imagination, and yet that God loves us with self-giving love deeper than our wildest imagination and has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ to do what we couldn't do on our own, to take on the penalty of our sin, that we can be forgiven, redeemed, restored to relationship with the God of the universe, and in a process of becoming the kind of people that we were always meant to be, to see the self-giving love of God and to live a new new kind of life as a response, to hear the music of the gospel and to dance the dance of life with Jesus as a response, because it's what you do to good music. That's the invitation of life with Jesus. And yet, I think if we're honest, for many of us, and for myself at various times of life, many of us feel like following Jesus is more like scenario two. There's stuff I know I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm just trying to do it right? And uh, maybe it's I'm trying to follow a, a list of rules that I've been given or try to copy what other people are doing, but it's coming in fits and starts, it's forced, and it's awkward. And many of us live our lives following Jesus like that, just trying to keep up with what we think we should be doing rather than hearing the beauty of who God is and living as a natural response of that beauty. And so here's the question that's begging to be asked by our silly little thought experiment. How can we live in such a way that we actually hear the music of the gospel? How can we live in such a way that we actually hear the good news of Jesus as beautiful as it actually is? How do we live in such a way where our life is a response to something that we truly experience as beautiful and good and personal for us? And the answer of Psalm chapter 19 verses 7 through 11 and the answer of all of Scripture taken as a whole is that we hear the music of the gospel and we live a life hearing the music of the gospel when we embrace the rhythms of reading and meditating on Scripture. Reading and meditating on scripture is the practice from the life of Jesus, the rhythm of life from the life of Jesus that tunes our ears to hear the beauty of God's love for us in Christ. To hear the beauty of who he is, despite despite our flaws and failures and sin, and what he's done for us in Jesus. Because here's what psalm 19 says about god's word it says scripture uh, the torah so the, the the scripture given at this point uh, in history when the psalm 19 was written it says scripture is perfect it's sure it's right it's pure it's clean it's true and therefore each line goes that it revives the soul It makes the simple wise. It brings joy to the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It's righteous altogether. And then the crescendo, the kind of like coming together piece of that whole stanza of Psalm 19, is that scripture is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. Now, you could just brush right over that of kind of like, okay, yeah, it's just kind of hype. Hyperbolic language about how Scripture is good and that's fine, but that's not what it says. Yes, it's poetic. Yes, it's yes, it's imagery, and it's meant to make us meant to evoke feeling as we think about that image. But think about what that image actually is. That Scripture is more valuable than gold, the the more sweet than honey. It's the the psalmist, the poet. Presenting this image for us to imagine ourselves being offered on one hand, you've got scripture, on the other hand, you've got like the lucky charms pot of gold. Catch me, lucky charms, get whatever. I don't know what the tagline is. But you've got the pot of gold on one hand, you've got scripture on the other, and the psalmist is saying, you should take the scripture. The scripture is better. If you have the choice, choose the scripture, not the pot of gold. And you're like, but you know what I could do with the pot of gold? It's from a leprechaun. I don't know. I don't know why it's I'm, I'm stuck in the leprechaun thing. The point is that it's yes it's poetic imagery but the image is meant to meant for us to see scripture as not just good but precious. And I think if we're honest all of us at least at various points in our walk with Jesus our honest response to that taken seriously at face value is what more valuable than gold, sweeter than honey. I think for many of us, if, if those following Jesus, we know that scripture is important. It's something else entirely, though, to say that it's more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. If we're being honest, many of us think of and experience scripture the way that a child thinks of and experiences eating our vegetables. It's something we we something we think is. Well, I mean, you got to convince a child to think it's good, but it's like presented to us as good, but not necessarily something to be savored, to be delighted in. We might believe scripture is essential or at least useful, but that's a real far cry from saying that it's beautiful, saying that it's more valuable than gold, saying that it's sweeter than honey. So what's the disconnect? What's the disconnect between the way that we frequently experience Scripture? Good, but we wouldn't say delightful. That's not the language we would use. We're not hearing the music of the gospel in it. It's not making our hearts sing. What's the disconnect between the way that the psalmist is describing Scripture in Psalm 19 and the way that many of us experience it on a day-to-day basis? There are, of course, many reasons, but I think one of the roots is that we have a tendency to approach Scripture differently than how it presents itself. We think we're going to get something out of it differently than what it says we're going to get out of it. Or we're treating it differently than what it's, what it's presenting itself. It's like we're trying to get off the tee, but we're using a putter. Like, if you try to get off the tee using a putter, you're going to be like, this is a terrible driver. You know, it's a, We're trying to do something with it that it's not, present, that it's not trying to do. And so what I want to do for most of our time here is I want to spend some time deconstructing some very common but ultimately problematic ways of approaching the Scripture that prevent us from seeing Scripture as being as beautiful as it really is, for that prevent us from, in the Scriptures, hearing the music of the gospel. And so let's just dive right in. We'll list out a few that um, I have been true in my life at various times and that I see play out all the time and that I hear in Christian circles all the time. Here are some common ways that we approach scripture that get us stuck from seeing scripture as being as delightful as it actually is. The first approach would be this. First approach would be to come to scripture and expect in the scripture to find a rule book or to functionally treat scripture as if it is a rule book. You might hear someone in Christian circles, and if this is you, I'm not putting you on blast. There's grace, 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 grace up in here. But this is something that you might hear that is uh, an example of this rule book approach to seeing scripture. You might hear the Bible called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Bible, real cute, right? We love our acrostics in in the church, right? We're like we're like sheep and and uh, flannel boards and acrostics, like that's what we're all about up in here, right? Uh, basic instructions before leaving Earth, the B I B L E. That's the Bible. It's a rule book. And going back to our thought experiment, approaching Scripture like a rule book would be like trying to learn to dance only by trying to follow a set of instructions on like how to dance. Like you're like picking up like dancing for dummies or something like that. And all you're doing is reading dancing for dummies and thinking there that's okay, I just do the things it says to do and that's dancing, except that's not dancing. Dancing is listening and hearing music and responding and maybe you've learned some steps, maybe there's some specific things to do depending on the scenario, but it's a response to the beauty of the music. A rule book uh, is useful. You've never danced before. Trying to learn learn some steps and get a hang of things. I don't know why this would be the case for you, but let's just say that it is. It could be very useful. Rule books and instruction manuals are useful, but they're not beautiful. Uh, An example, if you've had children any time in the past several decades of your life, which covers many of us, though not all of us, of course, uh, children in the 21st century come with stuff. Like capital S stuff, right? You got, a, you got the crib, you got the bassinet, you got all the things that you got. And all of those things come with an instruction manual, right? So you're gonna build the crib and you're gonna follow the instructions because otherwise, if you're me, you're gonna be completely lost. The instruction manual is incredibly important, incredibly helpful. But no one wakes up in the morning, grabs their IKEA instruction manual and goes, oh, nourish my soul instruction manual, right? Like helpful, but doesn't make your heart sing. And the thing about scripture is it does have commands. There is a specific vision of life, a way to live a new kind of life in Jesus. But those commands come in a context, a context of an unfolding story of God's redemption. And even in the specific list of commands, they come in specific stories, specific narrative arcs. So the Ten Commandments, for example, that's a literal list of rules. So you're like, clearly, well, sorry, Taylor, this is a rule book. ah ha But wait, where in Scripture does the Ten Commandments come in? It comes in the book of Exodus. It comes in right smack dab in the middle of a story of God releasing his people from slavery in Egypt. The Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's great, like, ethical manifesto of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God looks like played out on earth. It comes in the context of a story of the... Son of God coming into human history to redeem us from our sin. There are rules, and there are good for us. Scripture tells us that God's commands are not burdensome. They're for our good. But they're not sitting out there isolated from everything else. They're part of an unfolding story. Scripture is not merely a rule book. It is so much more. And the thing is, if we treat it as if it's a rule book, if we come to Scripture and the only thing we're looking for are basic instructions before leaving earth, then what we're going to get is we're either going to get really prideful because we think we're really good at keeping rules, and that makes us awesome, or we're going to be filled with shame or self-loathing or just apathetic feeling like we have to give up because we feel like there's no way I could ever do all of this. And I haven't done it, so what's the point of even trying? And actually, what's my value even in the first place? There are commands, and they're for our good, but Scripture is so much more than just a rule book. Additionally, another approach might be to come to Scripture and expect to find a book of heroes for us to emulate. So this is like, where I'm going to come to scripture and man, there's these incredible stories and I'm going to read these stories and I'm going to be just like the people I see in scripture. So I'm going to come to it. I'm going to find, find the people who are doing it right. And I'm going to live right up to them. And this in our little thought experiment, this is like trying, trying to dance by copying someone else's dance steps, right? I see them doing it really well. So I'm going to try and do it just like them. And the thing is having heroes can be helpful and inspiring people to look up to people that have gone before us, uh, In in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this beautiful list of men and women throughout redemptive history who have trusted God, and that passage of Scripture celebrates their trust of God as a model for us to be inspired by. But if you're just trying to live up to them, it can also be just as discouraging or just as pride-inducing as trying to live up to a list of rules. And the kicker is, most of the characters and most of the people that we see in, in Scripture are not actually worth emulating in the first place. There's like a couple things. It's like, Abraham, you got it right like once, and then that verse gets repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Like, you trusted God. Awesome, that's great. But then also, look at your marriage. is <laughs> not that so great. Yeah, we'll will, will swear to you the details, but not the best husband in the world, this guy Abraham. Or the David. Oh, David. God, he was a man after God's own heart. And he was. He was, the, he was the, the archetype king for what God's reign on earth would be, except David also committed murder. So I don't know if you, hey, that's your hero, that's your cup of tea, I got to make a quick phone call to the Redondo Beach Police Department, but the point is, while there are things worth emulating and celebrating, scripture does not present these people as if be just like them. In fact, what it's presenting is model their trust, there's some things to learn, but they're not, they're not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world, and it gets us following heroes, gets us into the same trap as trying to follow rules. A few years ago, while well, while we were all in lockdown, uh, documentary came out, The Last Dance on the life of Michael Jordan. So it's it's and it's, you know told through the lens of Michael Jordan. So <laughs> let's take it with a grain of, th- grain, of uh, grain of salt. But um, it's all about his life, and you know one of the greatest athletes ever to live, incredibly incredibly fascinating documentary and, and uh, really interesting stuff, at least to me and my taste. And the thing about Michael Jordan as a hero is there's some things that are super relatable about Michael Jordan, right? And there's things that could be lived up to and it's like, oh, I can do that too, like for example. Uh, he famously played a game with flu, quote unquote, flu-like symptoms, and it was this big heroic triumph because he gritted it out through a game while he feel, felt terrible, had a fever, was nauseous, all that stuff, and had a great game while feeling terrible, and it was a big, big thing—a little, little data point in the legend of Michael Jordan. And the documentary tells us that Michael Jordan thought that he was food poisoned from a pizza that he ate the night before. And one of the little details in the documentary was that when he got to Salt Lake City, where the game was, he was in his hotel, and he was bored and hungry late at night, and he ordered a pizza, an entire large pizza from a pizza place, and ate the entire large pizza by himself. And that is both inspiring and relatable because I personally believe that every pizza is a personal pizza if you try hard and believe in yourself. And so I can imagine being in a new city after a long day of travel and scarfing down a large pizza all by myself. That I can relate to. What I can't relate to is playing basketball like Michael Jordan. I could try as hard as I could, grit it out, practice every day. I'm not six foot six. I don't have otherworldly athleticism. My hands aren't as big as Michael Jordan's. I can't grip a basketball the way that Michael Jordan has. I don't have a 45 inch vertical. I know that shocks all of you. Um, <laughs> And I'm not Michael Jordan. So trying to be like Michael Jordan would get me in the same trap as trying to follow the rules. It would either lead me into being ignorantly prideful, thinking that I'm, I'm great at trying to be like Michael Jordan, or just feeling like a failure because I'm not. It gets you into the same trap. And so while heroes are good and there's models of faith in Scripture to be celebrated, that's not primarily what it is. That's not the main thing that we're going to Scripture to find. Another one. An inspirational quote book. Like, okay, don't want to follow the rules. Uh, There's obviously things I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to try to live my life in the vision of Scripture. But I'm not going to to think it's a rule book or a hero book. But I need some inspiration. I need some Monday motivation. I need something to get me going on my walk with Jesus. And so I'm going to find the verse that really speaks to me. And, like, that's my thing. And so post it on my social media. Like, get up in the morning. Monday motivation. This is... The way I'm gonna engage with scripture is pull out some inspiring quotes and live by those inspiring quotes. And if we're going to a little thought experiment, this then would be like trying to dance while only listening to two seconds of a song. You're like, that was great, two seconds. But the thing that makes the song beautiful is not just the two seconds, it's the whole song. It's the chorus, it's the verses, it's the bridge, it's all the other musical things in terms that I don't know because I'm not musically inclined, but it's all the fullness of the song that makes it beautiful. It's not just the two seconds. And so just to take the two seconds is to miss out on what the artist is intending for us to experience. And pulling inspirational quotes only from scripture is to miss out on everything God wants to show us and, crucially, all the ways that he wants to form us. Because while scripture is the most inspiring message imaginable, it is the story of hope, the inspirational true story of humanity and God and the way that God interacts with us. If we only take out the parts that are easy for us to understand or that we particularly like, which by the way, we should, we should focus on things that it's not saying we shouldn't do that, but if we only do that, then what we get is a very self-centered way of approaching scripture because we'll just come to the things that we already like and we won't be, we won't focus on the things that challenge us outside of our comfort zone, push us to live differently or expand us to think about things that are difficult for us to think about. And so when we come to the fullness of scripture, God forms us into, over a lifetime, being the kind of person that we were made to be. Not only pulling out inspirational quotes, although there's nothing wrong with having life verses or things that we're latching onto at a particular season, promises to claim all that's beautiful and good and one of the ways that we interact with Scripture. But it's not the only way. We need to be formed by the wholeness of it. And so if Scripture isn't primarily a rule book or a list of heroes or a collection of inspiring quotes, what is it? and that's probably what you're asking this whole time anyway. You're like, okay, 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 yada yada yada. Here it is. The library of scripture is the true unified story about our human condition and God's gracious redemptive rescue that comes together in Jesus. The library of scripture is the true unified story of our human condition and God's gracious redemptive rescue that all culminates in Jesus. Scripture has all kinds of genres, it's got all kinds, it's 66 different books, it's not one book, it's a collection of books, it'd be more accurate to call it an anthology than a book. It's all these different parts, but by the inspiration of the Spirit, they come together to form this unified story of who we are, who God is, and what God has done for us that all leads to Jesus. It's a story of God's grace. And as we see it as a story of God's grace and all these parts coming together as part of God's grace, the commands, the characters who are very flawed with some things to emulate, but a lot of things to not emulate, the different genres of wisdom and poetry and prophecy. And then the stories of Jesus coming together and this new community, the church being birthed and God's vision for that church. We see all that come together as a story of God's grace for us. And it's not just a general story of God's grace. It's a personal story of God's grace. It's a story of grace for you and for me. It's a story of God's self-giving love for you and for me. And when we see that in the scriptures, that's where we hear the music of the gospel. That's where we, in the scriptures, are encountering the beauty of God and what he's done for us in Jesus that makes us into a new kind of person as we put ourselves under it over time. Listen to what Jesus said. To a group of people who were really into treating scripture as a rule book. This is in John chapter 5. So he's treating he's coming to people who think of the scriptures primarily as a rule book. Probably a sim- oversimplistic way of saying it, but for our purposes, this is their posture. He says this to them. He says, You search the scriptures. That's a good thing. You search the scriptures because in them you think you'll you'll think you'll find eternal life. Good thing. So far so good. And it is they that bear witness about me. And Jesus says, and what the scriptures are doing are leading you to me. They're leading you to God's grace for you in me. But he says, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You're so into thinking scripture is a book of rules that you're missing the point and you're not finding life because of it. Scripture is a true unified story about our human condition. God's gracious and redemptive rescue that all culminates in Jesus, and so we're going to spend some time putting that into practice right now. We're going to spend some time as we close here to create a moment to, re- to um, meditate on Scripture together. I'm going to invite the band to come on off. They'll uh, play a little, um, just a, a little bit of music behind us, just to fill the fill the room. But I'm going to um, guide us through just a practice of meditating, which is to say thinking deeply on the scriptures. And don't worry if none of those words mean anything to you. That's completely fine because I'm going to guide us through it. But here are uh, two questions when we approach the scriptures that I think are um, keys to helping us see in any passage of scripture the story of God's grace that changes everything in the way that we relate to God in the scriptures. It's to come to scripture and it's first, we're wanting to get our minds around what's actually happening. So we're not reading anything into what we're reading that's not there. We're letting the author speak for themselves, right? That's part of good communication is you let someone speak for themselves and you ask yourselves, what do they mean? And so that's what we're doing with the scriptures. We're letting them speak for, we're letting the scriptures speak for themselves, the author of scripture speak for themselves. So what's actually going on here? What am I reading? What's happened before? All that stuff. And then we're asking ourselves, Two questions I think help frame it within the story of God's redemption. The first question to ask, and this is, I, this is what I do every morning when I read the scriptures, is how does this expose my junk? What in this passage, is there anything that any of my own human brokenness and sin that's being called out in this passage of scripture? So maybe I'm reading Jesus' teaching to love your neighbor as yourself. And yes, of course, think through what does it mean to love your neighbor and what is Jesus talking about? What kind of love is Jesus talking about? But it's not just a command. It's in the story of God's redemption. And so what ways have I not loved my neighbor? What did I, what, what? have I needed to be rescued from? What do I need to be forgiven from? How does this expose my junk? So that's question one. How does this expose my junk? Question two, where do I see God's grace? Where do I see God's grace that comes through Jesus? Because anytime God exposes something, it's always for the purpose of helping us encounter his grace. It's always for the purpose of wholeness and restoration and seeing his unconditional love. And that doesn't mean that like every passage of scripture has some Jesus code, right? They just just rearrange the letters and it's Jesus, you know? It's not, nothing like that. It's just, man, I know where the story goes. The story goes to God's grace. And so even if I'm getting called out on something, Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven me. Thank you that this isn't the end of the story. Or maybe I actually see a model of God's grace in Scripture. Maybe I see in, in David, the great David and Goliath story, and there's this hero going before to conquer something that God's people couldn't conquer on their own. And do you know who that sounds like? It sounds a lot like Jesus, who did for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves. And so maybe there's a model for me to follow that I have and haven't lived up to. But there's also something that points me to Jesus so we're going to put this into practice right now. I'm going to pray and ask that God would continue to speak to us. And I'm going to guide us through meditating on one line of scripture. It's the first line of the psalm that we just read. So Psalm 19, verse 1. The first line of Psalm 19, verse 1. And we're just going to turn it over in our minds. And we're going to see what God says to us as we turn it over in our minds. So I'll read it a few times here. After I pray, we'll turn it over. Um, i'll guide us through some questions to think about we'll just have some time encountering god in his word right now so let me pray um, let's ask god to continue to speak to us and you could even in the quiet of your own heart let's take some time right now let's just each take each take a deep breath and uh, in whatever words make sense to you say god would you speak to me in your word right now Of Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Let's take some time. Just to turn that phrase over in your mind. Just kind of, you can repeat it to yourself. The Hebrew word for meditate uh, literally means to mutter to oneself. So we're not alone, so maybe don't do that audibly. <laughs> But mutter to yourself in the quiet of your mind, the heavens declare the glory of God. Just kind of say that to yourself over and over. The heavens declare the glory of God, and just see what God brings up, what God, what the Spirit of God would highlight for you as you as you just kind of turn that phrase over in your mind. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens that, uh, which in this context is space, the sky the stars, the expanse of the universe, the galaxies. Creation itself declares the glory of God. The heavens declare Heavens declare the glory of God. Just maybe play with it a little bit. Um, one way to, with a small little phrase like this of Scripture, one way to kind of see what what's really going on in the text, what God might be saying, is to put different emphasis on different parts of it. So you might, as you're turning it over in your phrase, say, "The heavens declare the glory." in your mind on the heavens the, 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 the expanse of the universe God's creation is what's telling the glory of God declaring the glory of God put emphasis on that the heavens declare the glory of God maybe it's you're putting emphasis on declare so the heavens declare the glory of God what the, what the heavens are doing what the universe is doing is declaring something think about that it's the heavens declare the glory of God. What's what's being shouted out across the universe is the glory of its creator. And just play with different emphasis in your mind as you're repeating it over in your mind. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of. and its place in the story of redemption, story of God's grace for you and me. <laughs> let's, um, let's ask ourselves, let's reflect upon whether or not as the heavens are declaring the glory of God, as the universe is declaring the glory of God, have there been any ways that we've not been paying attention? The heavens have something to say about been listening? Are there ways that we've been living distracted? And not paying attention to what God might want to say to us in his creation. And just take some time reflecting. Is there, is, there any, is there any ways I've been missing it? Or any ways in the past that I know that I have missed it? How does this expose my journey gets so caught up and stressed by like little obligations and things on my to-do list that I can go through any given day for most of the day, not paying attention to what creation and the universe is all about, what reality is all about. And uh, I'm living out of sync with reality because I'm so stressed about Let's turn our thoughts to God's grace and how anytime God exposes something, calls us out on something, convicts us of something, it's always for the purpose of restoration. It's always for the purpose of redemption and an encounter with his grace. And so let's remember now together, and I'm gonna ask the, the team to hand out the communion elements as we do. Take some time just to remember God's grace for us in Jesus, that the the place where we see the fullness of God's glory, the heavens declare God's glory, but the fullest expression of the glory of God is what he did for us on Jesus's cross. That the creator of the universe, God the Son, came into his creation to be one of us and lived the kind of life that you haven't lived, I haven't lived, a sinless life in full perfect connection with the Father he went to the cross in our place, carrying the cost of my sin and your sin and in victory over the powers of darkness. And in his death, we're made clean, we're declared right before God to the extent that we trust him for it. And that in Jesus's death, every sin, past, present, and future is paid for in full. That God remembers our sin no God's heart towards us is unconditional, self-giving love. What he gives us is grace. And so even if there's anything specific that came up as we were reflecting, if there was something that you felt convicted of or had junk exposed, um, just take time to speak grace over that in the quiet of your own heart. Reflect on the fact that the God of the universe loves you And that in Jesus, every sin is forgiven. Let's just take some time to turn that fact over in our minds. Lord's Supper together as a celebration of that fact. And in the Lord's Supper, we, um, we have this, for anyone who would have a personal experience with Jesus, this metaphor played out in tangible objects of our sin paid for on the cross. Jesus' body broken and his blood shed. And so Jesus told us to take the bread and take the cup in remembrance of him. So let's do so together now. Lord, we love you. And uh, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that uh, the story of scripture is a story of your grace for us. And would we hear the music of the gospel in the scriptures? Would you teach us? Would you instruct us? I pray that we'd be a people who hear it. And uh, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Stand with me as we finish your worship. Lord, it is out of that place of empowerment that you have given us grace, that you have made our hearts come alive. So, Lord, we stand bold this morning, empowered and alive by your goodness. May that run through our veins this morning give you our worship. We give you the glory for all that you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for sparking life in our veins and our bones. Let's sing this together. All the saints and angels bow before your throne. i Glory that we could ever give you for all that you've done for us. As we see so beautifully laid out in what Taylor's taught this morning, this beautiful library of the unified story of what you've done for us through Jesus. So, out of a response of thankfulness and of gratitude, we give you all the glory. May it not just be lip service, God, but may we actually recall the price that you paid on the cross so that we may live, that we may know you, that we may remove all shame, guilt, fear, and be one with you, God, abiding in you, feeling your goodness and presence. So we give you all the glory. We love you, God. Would you spark that inside of us as a fiery truth that we are known and seen and loved by Jesus. So we give you all the glory. We worship you. And we thank you. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Hey, before we go, can we all sing happy birthday to Becca? Ready? Okay, somebody start something on the keys. Give us a little. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Becca. Bless you guys. See you next week.